Hello, hello, and hello, everybody! Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? In today's show, I am so beyond excited to invite Chris Beeman in the show to join up with us. Chris, if you don't know him, you really need to know, especially in Austin, Texas. First of all, he is a serious entrepreneur. He has successfully found, built, and exit his tech venture, Grapevine. Great name, by the way. Over the past ten years, Chris has built several other businesses as well as mentoring dozens of early stage founders. As a natural super connector and people leader, Chris had his mission to connect the world. Therefore, today he's a founder and CEO of Astromic, a product studio offering product service network for any businesses to grow successfully, successfully to the moon and the back astronomically. Wow, magical! To really empower entrepreneurs anywhere and wherever they are. With that, everybody, I am so beyond excited, and thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm appreciative to be here. Yeah. Well, Chris, you know you come a long way. Wow. Tell us how you grew up. Well, I grew up the son of two entrepreneurs in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, how so? My dad had a software startup when I was a kid,、mm-hmm. and my mom had a medical nonprofit that she founded when I was a kid. Wow! And so、uh, I got my start in the entrepreneurial world, learning from my parents. And how's that experience being? You know, being a a child and looking at both parents and hustling and creating impact every day. What is that experience impacting you? I think it taught me a lot of、uh, durability and grit and、mm-hmm. ambition. You、mm-hmm. know, my parents have always been supportive of me to create the companies I've created、mm-hmm. and to make the impact that I'm capable of making. So、mm-hmm. that was very inspiring. I'm very grateful to have had that backing. Oh, and with that in mind, do you always know you want to be entrepreneur just like your parents one day? No, no. I had a pretty.、Uh, You know, wayward path to entrepreneurship. You know,、mm-hmm. I,、um, you know, coming out of high school and entering my early adulthood, I,、um, I actually was, I got really into marijuana culture. I was、um, a pot smoker, and I sold pot, and、uh, was really into, you know, like the hippie stoner culture. And so that was pre entrepreneurship. Granted. Selling marijuana, you know, taught me the tenets of entrepreneurship.、Um, wow! And then in my, you know, early twenties, I worked in politics. I worked for a, I was a campaign manager for、mm-hmm. a, a local politician, and I thought I wanted to go into politics.、Mm-hmm. And then only into my mid twenties did I discover entrepreneurship and decide that that was my path. So it wasn't always from. You know, zero to entrepreneurship.、Mm-hmm. That I want to be an entrepreneur. That is so interesting, Chris. I, because when you said you discovered entrepreneurship first time in your mid twenties, but you grew up with both parents are entrepreneur. How is that? It's true.、Um, it didn't really register that both of my parents were entrepreneurial.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it it really I came to appreciate it much later in my. Uh, in my 30s is when、mm-hmm. I really looked back on my parents' own entrepreneurial journeys and、wow. related it to my own.、Mm. So what happened? What was that moment? You was like, "Wow, 
that's cool. I want to be that. I want to be this. I want to be the entrepreneur. When was the moment that you decide that is a path for you? Uh, when I was 23 or 24, I got into community organizing. Mm. And um, I'm good at remembering faces and names and connection points. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had a knack for connecting people and mm-hmm. for facilitating events. And that was when I realized that I wanted to do that in a professional context. Mm-hmm. And? Well, you know, I had a, I had a few meetup groups that I organized in... Uh, 2006, 2007, Mm -hmm. I was 23. Um, They grew extremely quickly. I had a a large following in each of the groups that I organized. Um, And um, yeah, when I, when I built my company Grapevine, you know, we became a platform for YouTube creators. Yeah. And I was community organizing and doing business at the same time. And mm-hmm. that's when I really realized that I could make a living out of mm-hmm. organizing people. Wow. You are the super you are a super connector. And I want to ask you that question. You know, I know that's one of your superpower. What made you such a great people leader? Um not to get too deep on it, but, you know, I had a pretty rough childhood, mm. you know, despite my parents' entrepreneurial leadership. Um, I had a lot of strife in my household, mm-hmm. and I grew up feeling um, unloved and unappreciated. I had a, you know, just say a, a rocky childhood. And um, feelings of abandonment and um, not being connected to peers and to my parents and to other loved ones Mm -hmm. led me to want to connect with other people. And so I actually consider it a strength today, you know, having the, the, the pain of disconnection as a kid led to this, uh, this desire, this, this, this need to Mm -hmm. seek approval or be accepted or, or, Mm -hmm. or to feel like I could belong. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, as it manifests itself today, I actually, um, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat abstracted from the communities I create. I really enjoy connecting other people yeah. more than I enjoy being connected myself. So mm. I'm not the type that has a large intimate friend group. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like, <laughs> it's going to sound funny saying this, I don't like going to networking events I don't like being the center of attention. What I really like doing is sending a bunch of other people to Mm -hmm. a networking event. Mm -hmm. And I like it when they connect with each other. For some reason, for some psychological reason, Mm -hmm. the idea of other people connecting with each other Mm -hmm. makes me more fulfilled Mm -hmm. than the idea of me connecting with others. Um, So it's, you know, just how it turned out. Some Mm -hmm. combination of childhood stuff leading Mm -hmm. to adulthood stuff mm-hmm. i've become a people connector of other people mm-hmm. and chris i'm i'm really touched you know learning about your childhood and learning that you take maybe was a hard part of the your journey you take that into become a gift now you share that love per se to others and connecting make, make sure everybody feel belonged make sure everybody feel accepted Make sure everybody feel connected and that become your superpower, which is really endearing. And that takes a lot of courage to make that choice. Well, and I don't know if it's a choice, actually. It just sort of <laughs> happened that way. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, that's the funny thing about human beings. You know, yeah. they're malleable mm-hmm. and they're shaped by these early experiences. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, they follow their their passion. It's funny. This morning I went running mm-hmm. and I talked to this guy, Mark, who works at the, I don't know the name, the, the school for the deaf mm-hmm. um, in Austin, downtown yeah. Austin. And he grew up with two deaf parents. Mm-hmm. And so he was a hearing child mm-hmm. in a family of deaf parents, which is really interesting. And he explored working in the hearing world in his early adulthood, but realized that his calling was to work with deaf people. And I thought that was fascinating, but it, you know, it, it's representative of the reality that, you know, he was shaped at an early age by Mm -hmm. this experience with deaf people. Mm -hmm. And now he's, you know, a leader in the the deaf community. So I think, you know, people are shaped by their childhood experiences and then they lead out these lives that, are their calling as a result of that. And so, you know, I had a rocky childhood, but I'm grateful for my rocky childhood because I would, I'm very happy with who I am today Mm -hmm. and I love being a people connector and it's because of that. Mm -hmm. What a gift. I think every experience, every journey, always a gift and always a blessing in disguise, what you can see at this moment or maybe in you take a couple of years and, you know, I, I love that optimism in you, Chris. Well, thanks. So let's uh, go back to our the first entre- uh, first business you started. So tell us that moment you decided, you know what, I had a gift. Wow, I can make a living. Like that could be a business I'm going after. How was that first year or so uh, running business experience like? Was it everything you expect? No. <laughs> yeah, so 2008, 2009, I was working as a, I had, moved from being a software developer and mm-hmm. a web developer into user experience design. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided that I be, I was really interested in the psychology of user behavior. And so I became a UX designer. I was working in a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my job there, every day at 4.59 p.m., my colleagues would stand up from their cubicles and get ready to go home. Mm. And uh, it just felt like we were all, you know, ants in a colony, completing our jobs Mm -hmm. according to the ways that we were supposed to be living in this, you know, corporate ecosystem. My colleagues were uninspired by their work, Mm -hmm. and there just wasn't the the passion that you find in startups. Mm -hmm. Despite, you know, my parents' background, I didn't know anything about startup culture. Mm -hmm. All I knew was that at 4.59 p.m., I still had a lot of energy to do other stuff. Mm. And I wanted a project. I wanted something to work on between Mm -hmm. 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. or whatever. (laughs) Um, I went to a uh, a holiday party where I met my, you know, the guy who would become my Mm co-founder. And he was working with a large video production company, a Mm -hmm. media company. He was working with Discovery Channel Um, I was working with a company called IDG, and we bonded over the idea of wanting a little bit extra for our lives. Mm -hmm. And when we started working on our project, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a startup. It wasn't a business. It was just a thing to do. Um, And it turned into a business. Uh, It turned into a highly scalable, profitable business. But in the very beginning, it was just a way to scratch the itch of wanting to do creative stuff Mm -hmm. after work. Wow. And then what happened? Well, so um, (laughs) this was 
2009 is when we first started talking about doing what we were doing. So um, a social media website that was new was YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, My co-founder's name was Brendan. Mm -hmm. Brendan was a video producer at Discovery Channel. Mm -hmm. We both were inspired by the advertisements being made by Old Spice, Mm-hmm. Old Spice had just started doing this brand of advertising where they use very random humor uh-huh. with, you know, football players as actors. Yes. They had this one ad with this black guy who starts in the bathroom and winds up on a horse at the end of the, the ad. I studied that ad. My major is in advertising. At the time, I remember I was in the in the university in Norway, in the master's degree, and we were talking about this ad. Yeah, we talked about that ad, too. It was oh a great my God. ad. Okay, continue. Sorry. I got excited. <laughs> no, it's good to ex- be excited about it. Old Spice killed it with totally. this advertising format. Yep. And, you know, not only did they make this particular ad for TV, but mm-hmm. they also made a couple hundred additional ads that were only for YouTube. Mm-hmm. And we studied this ad and also the YouTube ads. And what they did really interestingly on YouTube that was kind of new for a corporate brand is they had the same actor act out a skit in an ad in which he directly spoke to one YouTube user who had commented on the original ad. Mm-hmm. And so basically this actor would call out yeah. a YouTube user um, by their username to answer their question mm-hmm. in the form of an ad. So it might be like, you know, the YouTube user asks, how did you get such big biceps? Mm-hmm. And then they'd have the actor say, hey, Bumblebee123, you know, mm-hmm. the way that I got such big biceps is by bench pressing bathtubs on the surface of the moon or whatever <laughs> random oddball thing that they would have him say. Mm-hmm. And what would happen there is that individual would then go share that video with their friends and family and Mm -hmm. be like, oh, my God, I got called out by the Old Spice guy. Mm -hmm. And it would generate a lot of viral activity. Mm -hmm. And their sales actually rose 400% in that quarter that they launched that ad campaign as a result of the YouTube videos. And so we saw that and we thought, okay, other brands need to adopt not only this playful style of speaking to the consumer, Mm -hmm. but also this approach of directly communicating with users Mm -hmm. so that the user feels more connected to the brand. Mm -hmm. And so often, you know, prior to that, we'd all seen these advertisements through TV or through radio or through magazines where we, the peon consumer, are just these random humans and the brands are up on this pedestal. They've made so much money and (laughs) we're just consuming their content. And here Old Spice was, you know, directly stooping to the level of the consumer to Mm -hmm. where we felt connected to Old Spice. Mm -hmm. And we saw that we were like, let's do this for other companies. And so we 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 set out to, you know, build an advertising company Mm -hmm. that would create Old Spice style advertisements for other brands. And we started in the fishing space. Brendan had a friend who had a fishing company Mm -hmm. and um, we set out to create you know, fishing videos. And we did, we created a couple of videos and we put them on YouTube only to get zero views. And when you're first starting on YouTube, everyone gets zero views, you know, it's just the reality of starting. But we had decided in the moment of serving this customer that 
you know, and basically this this company hired us to produce these videos for them mm-hmm. that we had largely failed. Yes, we had produced the material, the collateral, but we hadn't achieved exposure. And mm-hmm. what's an advertisement without exposure? Mm-hmm. And it was then that we started realizing that we could be a broker on YouTube between brands like this fishing company Mm -hmm. and other YouTubers who already have a fishing following. Mm -hmm. And we could hire these YouTubers who already had eyeballs on their content to work for these other brands. Mm -hmm. And so that started what became a YouTube product placement advertising company. And that's what what Grapevine scaled to become. Wow. Yeah. Um, Should I just keep going? Yeah. And I'm curious about, you know, earlier when I asked you, was it everything you expect? You said no. What was the part that, I imagine when you had the idea, when you had that first conversation with your co-founder, Brandon, right? Brandon. And you all discussing, oh, let's just do a project. And now it, like growing to a full-blown businesses and really, you know, scratching a huge need for the product, for the influence, for all those uh, incredible ecosystems here. What was what was the the part that you were not expected? Well, you know, we went to, we went into it thinking it was a project. Mm-hmm. Um, it turned into a business when we had a client. Mm. Um, initially, it was just a way to work on something that was not our main jobs. You know, I worked my my main corporate job for another two years while I was building my startup. So there wasn't, uh, you know, a complete black and white transition. Um, We eventually joined a co-working space in Boston, in Cambridge, that was very similar to Capital Factory. Mm -hmm. It was like a 14-story building. Mm -hmm. It had uh, several floors where startups could work. And we were blown away by... The interior design, the startup culture, mm-hmm. all these other sort of millennials who are working on cool startups. Mm-hmm. It was only then that we adopted the word startup into our vocabulary. Mm. You know, we were just working on a project yeah. until then. Yeah. Um, and we started meeting angel investors who would give us feedback, mm-hmm. such as how we could turn our service-based business into a software business and how we could raise money and scale it. And so it was then that it became a startup, whereas all prior to that, it was a project. So how? That is, wow. So how do you, how do you turn that? Well, we, we led sort of this manual service facilitation business for a while, working with, you know, oddball brands. Mm-hmm. We had this sort of, you know, realization moment, maybe in 2011, mm-hmm. we were thinking about fishing as mm-hmm. a niche market and thought, well, you know, fishing is hard to do product placement in. Mm-hmm. The video producer has to go out on a boat yeah. with a person to film. They're talking about these objects, these fishing items that are pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. You get them in specialty stores. Mm-hmm. What's a better market that we could go into that is more accessible, you know, more affordable, mm-hmm. um, more common? And we realized that makeup was mm. the best, what we thought, the best possible product placement niche. And so we pivoted and mm-hmm. decided to go full bore on makeup. Oh. Um, and, I, you know, I sold makeup on YouTube for you know, years as a result wow. of that. And so we transitioned to makeup. We met a couple of makeup 
tutorialists who lived in Boston. We went and found them on YouTube. From an early point in growing the business, for whatever reason, we got into the realm of data scraping and we hired programmers to go scrape content from YouTube. We would gather comments and users and user activity, mm-hmm. um, writing Python scripts to you know take data off of YouTube or in some cases mm-hmm. hook into YouTube's very early API and grab data. And through that, we were able to find local YouTubers who lived in our same city. We met them and they became sort of brand ambassadors. They started working with us at the the co-working space. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. And we got really into doing makeup, you know, product <laughs> placement. And, you know, helping these predominantly young women, but in yeah. some cases young men, yeah. get sponsored by brands. Mm-hmm. You know, this is 2011 before influencer marketing was really a thing. Wow. Um, and, yeah, eventually we built a software platform mm-hmm. to make it so that Brands could, you know, similar to like Google ads or Facebook ads, log into a dashboard, see Mm -hmm. the potential exposure they could generate from working with different influencers Mm -hmm. and either self-serve their own campaigns or work with a client account manager to help them, you know, do influencer Mm -hmm. marketing campaigns. Wow. So that's how you shift from a service-based business to a like Software a SaaS business, business. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, what is the hardest thing uh, for you and your co-founder at the time building this business, you know, from an idea project now to a full-blown business with a you know, scalable business model? I think one challenge that we had, um, you know, like any set of co-founders, there are instances where we didn't see eye to eye. Um I was really involved in the community organizing side of this business. So Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed communicating with the YouTubers Mm -hmm. and hearing their stories and signing as many of them to our network as we could. Mm -hmm. Um, I also got really involved in community organizing in the startup community. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed meeting other startup founders and Mm -hmm. hearing what they were working on, doing events in the co-working space. Um, I think that I played a role in, you know, distracting us from our core mission by doing external events outside of our startup that Mm -hmm. my co-founder was like, come on, let's focus on building our company Mm -hmm. and not building community in the startup world of Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, But, Aside from that, um, maybe just seeing eye to eye on mm-hmm. how to grow the company and, mm-hmm. you know, things like pricing, sales numbers, uh, campaign facilitation formats, mm-hmm. um, the technology that we were building, the people that we were hiring, mm-hmm. you know, lots of disagreements about that stuff. I mean, we, we worked through it, but yeah, yeah. those were challenges. Totally. I think, you know, it's, uh, especially when you're scaling and having that same vision towards what exactly we are building and, you know, the criteria and the step along the way could be, of course, could be challenging. And and with that in mind, Chris, I'm curious, was it easy for you to let go when it's time to sell? Um, I actually left the company before the company sold. So I, what was, happened? I was not directly part of the sale. Um, yeah, so I left the company and joined another startup that was growing 
At the time, I wasn't convinced that our company was going to be able to sell. I didn't see eye to eye with my mm-hmm. co-founder, Brendan. Mm-hmm. We had grown apart. Um, oh. He wound up continuing with the, with the company for a little while, and then he also left the company. It's funny, we brought in an employee in 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. uh, who, up, who wound up becoming the CEO. Mm-hmm. His name was Grant. Mm-hmm. And Grant is the one who actually sold the company. Mm. Um, and so by the time the sale actually happened, I had left and moved on to other startups. How many years apart? Um, Roughly. Just a couple years. Yeah, Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Grant took the company and sold it to one of our investors who had already put some money into the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was awesome when he did. Um, how, how did you take that news? At a time. It was great news. I had no golden handcuffs that a lot of people experience when they have to go work for their acquirer. Mm -hmm. Our acquirer, you know, had a clean break with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, They took the technology and moved it into a different market. Mm -hmm. Um, Grant didn't have to go work for them. The the existing team, I think maybe the existing team, some of them continued to work with them. Grant was immediately starting another startup upon, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the exit. And I had already left and worked with a couple other companies. So was it hard for you to not reaping the fruit of your own business because you already left? I got a nice payout from the sale, so um, that wasn't too bad, you know. Very nice. I still had a lot of equity in the business. If you have this magic wand, you can do it all over again. Would you change any choices along the way? Um. I don't know. So one thing I'm currently doing is I have no co-founders for my current company. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, you know, and maybe a lot of CEOs realize this, I'm controlling. I like things to go my way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a knock on Brendan by any means. I've had other co-founders over the years. Um, I think I'm a, a solo founder kind of person. How do you know that? Can you tell us to be more, Chris? Because I think Today, in the startup ecosystem, a lot of solo founders are so anxious about, oh my God, you find a co-founder because that is a type of businesses that VC are looking at. And they are also True. uncomfortable about the fact that he or she are solo. But yeah, you know, you are sitting here so confident and comfortable to say, you know what? I am a solo founder. So tell us a bit more about that a discovery. Lot v- a lot of VCs don't like to invest in startups that have solo founders. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a number of VCs who wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I mean, one of my qualities is that I work a lot. I work, uh, I work all the hours. I work. You We know, can tell. <laughs> yeah, I work. You know, fourteen to eighteen hours a day, um, including Saturday and Sunday. I work all day, every day, and I mm. put in so much elbow grease that um, I've had experiences where if my co-founder isn't putting in you know, nearly as much work, it's led me to feel doubtful about our potential as a company and about whether there's an even split in mm-hmm. our, mm-hmm. you know, in our equity and, in you know, the share of our responsibility in the business. So mm-hmm. I really like being a solo founder. Um, and... I'm fortunate to have been able to grow enough revenue quickly enough that mm-hmm. I can hire all the people that I mm-hmm. need to, you know, execute aspects of the business that I can't manage. So, so what would you say to uh, to maybe some listeners or entrepreneurs who are solo founder? 
what would you tell him or her? I mean, you told uh, told me when we got started that the last question would be like, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs? And I'm going to share that advice right now. Yeah. Um, so I apologize for, you know, maybe I'll come up with something else to say. But, <laughs> you know, part of the the fun and the challenge of entrepreneurship is having the humility to learn from constructive feedback that you get from anyone that wants to give you feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, there's it takes a fair amount of humility to, yeah, be be redirected. And then it takes courage to mm-hmm. redirect, right? Mm-hmm. And if you go into business building with an ego and say, it's my way or the highway, no one can tell me otherwise, then you're destined to fail. And the, the best CEOs and the best founders have the humility to accept you know, feedback that mm-hmm. points them in a different direction and then the courage to pivot or take that advice and, and move on it. Um, and so I would, you know, tell other founders, if you're a solo founder, have the humility to consider a scenario where you have a co-founder, have the humility to give up equity for them. Ultimately, mm-hmm. equity is a, a very motivating factor. It's the glue that keeps people aligned to a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you leverage it instead of trying to, you know, keep all of it, hoard it, mm-hmm. um, you can get someone who can fill your gaps. And having the humility to share the the stage with a, a co-founder is a really powerful thing. It It can get you you know, someone who covers the gaps that you don't have, it can get you attention from VCs. Um, it can really help you make thoughtful decisions and hear feedback from someone who mm-hmm. um, has an equal stake in maybe telling you that you're wrong periodically. And that's mm-hmm. a that's a good thing. So with that, do you think our solo founder should go out there to find a co-founder just like a typical? I don't think it's a should or shouldn't thing i think it's a maybe or maybe not i mean and today i had a a call with a woman who is building a company that's similar to ours mm-hmm. here in austin mm. and i thought during the call i was like hmm would it make sense for us to collaborate with her maybe mm. i'm open to it um just as i've been open to other strategic partnerships that could turn into mm-hmm. you know one unified yeah journey so i i remain open to it i haven't found anyone yet that I would mm-hmm. consider a, a co-founder. But. Yeah. It's like the universe always got us back. Right. If That's it right. aligns, it will be. If it's not, it's not. Totally. So to sum up, if you're solo founder, no pressure. You do you. If you find the right co-founder, well, saying yes, if that's the right moment. For sure. That's right. So back to you, Chris. Uh, so now, right, you move on with Grapevine and now you go on to you know be part of a lot of great businesses. Along the years, you mentor so many entrepreneurs helping their own growth journey. So tell us, what brought you to Astronomic? Yeah, so there's a couple steps in between Astronomic that are worth mentioning. Um, So in 2015, I was recruited to join a gaming company that was moving from San Francisco to North Alabama, of all places. That's interesting location choice. Interesting location choice. <laughs> so North Alabama actually has a large pool of uh, PhDs and rocket scientists because NASA has a big presence there. There's oh. a military base. Um, NASA has a big presence. And there's a lot of companies that 
operate in the defense sector, mm-hmm. Raytheon, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, mm-hmm. Booz Allen, Hamilton, these types of companies. Mm-hmm. And they employ really smart uh, engineers of all types, aerospace engineers, mechanical engineers, mm-hmm. civil engineers, and software engineers. Mm-hmm. This gaming company from San Francisco realized that they could acquire talent for half the price that they were paying in San Francisco mm-hmm. if they moved to Alabama. And so they did to gobble up a bunch of talent and then sell to Amazon. Mm. And I joined the company as they were going through that transition process. I moved down to Alabama. I thought, man, this is interesting. You know, took a great comp package, um, went down there, and then interestingly fell in love with the civic side of this small town in North Alabama called Huntsville that had big aspirations to grow into an Austin or a similar city. And so... Mm. I found myself, again, I was working for this company, but I was enamored with the community development of this burgeoning startup ecosystem. And I really wanted to build infrastructure for, you know, a, you know, a startup ecosystem that didn't have a lot of infrastructure. There Mm -hmm. were all these smart engineers at NASA and Boeing and other, you know, engineering companies that were paid good salaries and had families and weren't necessarily startup prone, but Mm -hmm. still wanted to tinker on ideas. And I thought, gosh, I can create, you know, an accelerator program. I can teach the lean startup method. I can Mm -hmm. rally investors. There could be a startup scene here and I'm going to help make it happen. And so for, for, yeah, about three years, I built um, a large part of what currently exists as the startup ecosystem of North Alabama. Wow. And the location is random. Um, actually, Huntsville's on the rise as a small city. There's a bunch of small cities like Charleston and Portland that are becoming, you know, bigger, more notable cities, especially with, you know, young people, especially moving around the country out of the big metros to find cheaper rents or cheaper properties and then being able to work remotely for their, you know, their employers. Um, Huntsville is one of those cities that, you know, you think Alabama, backwards, redneck state. Huntsville is an up and coming, Mm -hmm. cool place to live with lots of great stores and people and, you know, diversity. And um, yeah, I spent, you know, two, three years really plugging in, building infrastructure, trying to rally a startup scene. Mm -hmm. And it remains, you know, five, six years later. Wow. you know, infrastructure that facilitates good entrepreneurial development today, which is that's impactful. That's great. Why, why do you left? Um, even though Huntsville's growing, it didn't really feel like the end stage destination. Mm-hmm. Also, I saw cities like Austin, and I thought, okay, there's just a much bigger platform to build on there. Also, mm-hmm. I would say I made the mistake of building a nonprofit. I created a nonprofit company. Mm-hmm. You know, when you create a nonprofit, it's a, you know, it's a public company that is owned by the state. It's not owned by a founder like a private company is. You elect a board of directors. The board of directors operate or command the mm-hmm. the the company. The board changes. There is no sort of owner of a nonprofit. And I naively didn't understand that when I created my nonprofit. And so, you know, my nonprofit ultimately is a gift to North Alabama. Um, It will continue to have board members who oversee its operations. Um, I wanted to go create a private for-profit company in Mm -hmm. a different market that had 
mm. you know, larger scalability potential. Mm. So I'm excited about what's happening in Huntsville. It's great, but mm-hmm. I'm more excited about what's happening in Austin. Yeah. And I came to Austin in early 2019 um, with the goal of of building a new type of entrepreneurial company here. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Yeah, so um, 2019, I did a lot of traveling. I did some consulting. I traveled to Europe. I lived in Central America for a little while. Um, I didn't really plug into Austin just yet. I was in Costa Rica in February 2020, right before the pandemic. And I went there without a cell phone and without a computer. And I spent a month meditating and hiking and thinking and that's where I really decided to put wheels into motion for Astronomic. I had actually incorporated Astronomic as a company in 2019. I had come up with the name in 2018 or so. You know, the name comes from the idea of astronomical growth. Yeah. Of helping startups grow really fast. Um, and I, I had always liked the name. It was 2020, though, when I really started building what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell us a little bit more. What exactly it is today, so our readers, our listeners, will get to know a little bit more. Yeah, Astronomic is um, kind of a decentralized accelerator of mm-hmm. sorts. Mm-hmm. You know, I've partic- participated in the TechStars program and the Mass Challenge program, which before the pandemic were very location mm-hmm. dependent organizations. You bring your team, you go into this like boot camp style environment mm-hmm. in person, you work together. You interact with local mentors and local investors to Mm -hmm. fund your company and and grow. And from the beginning, Astronomic was intended to leverage, you know, the internet accessibility of decentralization, helping founders in Kenya match with co-founders in Ohio Mm -hmm. and investors in Sweden to build a company that knows no bounds in terms of location dependence. Wow. Um, and we're not like an accelerator that has a curriculum-based program that takes a founder through a learning journey. Mm-hmm. We're not currently a company that invests in founders. Um, in large part, we functioned as a service-based company to start. Mm-hmm. We, we've built this one-stop startup shop where you can come to us for you know everything from, at the very early stage, demand validation, mm-hmm you know, clickable prototypes and user testing Mm -hmm. and product design and software development and marketing and sales and all that stuff. Um, But the the vision was to integrate with existing entrepreneur communities Mm -hmm. um, and provide founders really affordable, accessible Mm -hmm. access to entrepreneurship. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we really are excited to get outside of the United States. The United States is a really privileged country there's a lot of money. There's a lot of, um, you know, entrepreneurship is celebrated here in a way that it's not celebrated in other cultures and mm-hmm. countries. We're excited to bring the access for the systems that we're creating to other countries where mm. entrepreneurship in, especially in minority groups, is not celebrated and not as accessible. Mm. Um, so that's wow. part of our goal. Yeah. Why, Chris? What drives you? Um, you have such a big... Ambition. So my big, you know, out of this world vision is to expand our humanity to other planets. And why? Well, I just think that, (laughs) you know, like we're faced with the threat of global warming and of 
you know, famine and of war and, um, you know, these major factors, you think of biological warfare and what could happen with a bigger pandemic than COVID. And it just makes me feel that humanity is fragile unless we figure out a way to multiply. And I have this thing that I say, which is a silly thing to say, which is that humanity is the greatest species in the universe. Well, it's the only species you know, beyond the other organisms on our planet that we know of in the universe. We don't know of other species and other planets. Um, but um, I just, you know, my, I really feel that, um, I feel like we live in this universe with billions of planets that are part of billions of galaxies. And that number is just so big. Yeah. And to live this life, this crazy thing we experience with eyeballs and thumbs and <laughs> the walls that other creators have created all this stuff and not explore the billions of other planets that are out there mm. is a shame you know we just we have this existence that is limited to planet earth um and there's so much more and why not be thinking bigger um my my thoughts on it are that we need as many entrepreneurs as possible mm-hmm. as many innovators Anyone that has that spark that wants to create a business should be able to. It mm-hmm. should be easy. Mm-hmm. And our collective sort of uh, our power as a collective mm-hmm. species um, knows no bounds to where we could innovate our way off of Earth into the solar system and so on. So, um, you know, Astronomic doesn't have a really crisp and clear goal other than this lofty thought to enable as much entrepreneurship as possible. But I'd love to, you know, have the sense when I'm mm-hmm. 80 years old that we've played an impact in helping yeah. us colonize other planets and explore, mm-hmm. you know, outer space. Wow, Chris, you have such a big heart. I know you are the tall person, but now I feel like, wow, your heart is even bigger. And I, I love that intention because, you know, the way how I see it is, I think each and every one of entrepreneurs is like, a little light bulb of his or her own. And if our collective effort, whether it's our community or resources, we get helping him, helping her to uh, to to grow and scale their business even you know bigger and quicker so they can really shine their light mm-hmm. one pixel brighter, the whole world is a brighter place. You're right there with me on that. That's yeah. how I believe. And I truly believe that's how we collective, I collective at least, to make the world a better place. I'm right there with you. I feel like entrepreneurship is the ultimate social cause. Yes. You know, people can disagree on all sorts of political topics, healthcare, social issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, rights, equal rights, or what's not equal. But mm-hmm. one cause that most people seem to agree with is that business building and autonomy and business building mm-hmm. is a justified pursuit of one's time. What's cool about entrepreneurship, especially with collaboration between teams, is mm-hmm. I can believe in this you know, hot button issue and you can believe in that hot button issue and we can disagree with each other, mm-hmm. but we can both work together to serve the customer. Mm-hmm. And that's I pretty magical. That. Yeah. yeah. And so with as much entrepreneurship, with mm-hmm. the collaboration between teams mm-hmm, mm-hmm. building for a customer in this, you know, in the mm-hmm. private market, um, eventually the public market, um, a lot of good can happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, most, I mean, humans are just naturally um, loving. Everyone deserves to love and be yeah. loved. Yeah. Um, and with entrepreneurship, they can, 
you know, expand their horizons. They can meet interesting people. Mm -hmm. I mean, the modern company today is hearing left and right that they need to be diverse and inclusive. Leadership teams have expanded to have people of different backgrounds, different Mm -hmm. ethnicities, different genders. Um, It's really great. And so that at scale is is really powerful Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. the human race. Um, Astronomic will play a role in this, however small or big, but so will lots of other companies. Mm -hmm. And we feel like anyone who enables entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. is an ally. You know, the, the sea is blue for opportunity here. No one's a competitor. Mm-hmm. We're all on the same team. Yeah, Everyone's trying to enable entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and humanity as a whole. Um, and that's a noble mission, regardless of whether you have market share that I don't have or yeah. I have market share that you don't have. It really resonated with me, Chris, when you said that there's no competitors. We are all in this together. And that just made me... Um, Made me feel like my heart just swell because I, I think in this modern world, the more educated we are, the more you know know how we learn about the world. We feel, oh my god, that you know that's so much to do. But yeah, I think when you actually flip the script, looking at it, we all just here sharing our gift. Mm-hmm. And for you, it's building fantastic business. For her, is being a fantastic full time mom. Whatever their heart desire, that's how we share our gift with the world. And with that, there's no competitor. We all in this together. We all light up this whole planet together, collectively with our own heart, our own passion. And that's truly just made this world such a beautiful place. Well, so I really believe that. I will say, however, that, you know, I'm a hardcore business builder who's cutthroat in tactic. And I will <laughs> I will work as hard as possible, as smartly as possible, and as scalably as possible to grow market share. Mm-hmm. So on the one side... You know, no to, to competitors, to competitors, I say, bring it on. Yeah. You know, we're going hard and yep. we're we're going to go pedal to the metal all the way to the top. But at the same time, I, I at the in the at the core of that, I do feel mm-hmm. all inclusive, yeah. appreciative of others who enable entrepreneurship, etc. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just it's such a, a beauty. It's a beauty with a balance where in the one hand, right, we want to strive to do our best. Mm-hmm. What you know, it's not about winning in the competitor. It's actually about how can we really master our craft so we can serve the customer, serve the market even better. For sure. So it's not even about competing with her. I think it's more about I winning the market. But on the other hand, I also see that you know you have such a heart, such a you know just really that collaboration, that 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 people leader within you, the knowing that we all here to share, we all here to love, and I I fundamentally believe that we are all here to build a bigger pie for everybody. We all deserve a space and we all um, have a chance to share our gift. Yeah, I completely agree. And outside of entrepreneurship, I agree with that. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, the work that you're doing with the podcasts, the work that we do as community builders or, you know, through whatever social activities that we do, Mm -hmm. it's good to be inclusive and embrace others and you know, look beyond things mm-hmm. that um, we would otherwise be judgmental about or that would divide us. So, Chris, one day when we all long pass in this planet, what do you want your gravestone to say about you? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, that he was selfless in his pursuit of making life better for others. You know, I've always said, like, I'm I'm weird in some ways. Maybe it's not weird. It's just the way I am. But I'm not really motivated by wealth. 
Um, I currently live very frugally. All money that Astronomic generates goes towards growth. I could never have like a mansion in the Caribbean with 17 bedrooms. I mean, I could, but if I had that, I would have a room in that mansion that has a computer in it. And I'd be sitting there (laughs) 14 to 18 hours a day grinding (laughs) to generate social impact. So um, I will, I feel like I will be social impact driven to the day I die. And I hope that my tombstone recognizes that that's all I've ever Mm. wanted. Ah, so beautiful. Chris, you are such a selfless understatement for who you are. And I really see that you are not only just incredible, talented and gifted at your own right, but in the meantime, you have such a big heart to really make this world a better place and truly touch me. Well, thanks. So with that quiz, um, today, what, what made you happy? What do you do for fun? Or you don't? <laughs> yeah. Um, Have you worked 18 hours a day? <laughs> I love working. Um, and to that end, I'm kind of robotic in that I love working. I love working more than anything else. I haven't watched a movie or a TV show, mm-hmm. or gone to a concert in yeah. five years, maybe. Um, so what relaxes you? Yeah. You mentioned earlier oh, you spent a couple of months uh, meditating in well, music. I'm so this I'm curious. Once a year, and, and part of this is because I genuinely enjoy being outdoors and interacting with people in different cultures. Mm-hmm. Once a year, I try and take a trip somewhere and go off-grid. Um, Off-grid means? Means no internet, no computer, no cell phone. You actually not bring it with you? I don't bring it at all. So how do you know where to go? You figure it out. You ask questions. Yeah. That's so bold. Just find yourself and, you know, I, you know I'm, I have the privilege of being a 6'6 white man. Okay. okay? And it's, <laughs> you know, it's just, I didn't ask for it, just how it turned out. Okay. But, you know, in, in, in the world. I'm pretty safely able to walk into most social situations <laughs> and not be messed with. It's not fair. It's just, unfortunately, it is what it is. But I can go to, you know, like I lived in Ukraine for a while. I can go to Ukraine and yeah. speak no Ukrainian and, you know, figure out a way to rent an apartment or, you know, find an Airbnb or yeah. what have you without any technology and just take that's crazy direction or feedback from people in other cultures and be fine. So, okay. What do you do when you're there? Given that right now you're working 16 hours a day, every single day, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly you have no internet, no phones. Yeah. Last year, you know, we weren't really (laughs) traveling internationally. I went to Breckenridge um, and I spent all day hiking, meditating, um, when you say all day meditating, you just mean like you actually sit down by the tree all day chilling? I hiked all day and yeah. I do like a walking meditation by myself. I, you know, I, Can you explain that? You're just walking and thinking about something or do you? When I'm walking, when I did walking <laughs> meditation, I would, you know, like breathe in and out with yeah. a focus on like my upper lip. And I'd, you know, try wow. not to have. I'd let thoughts flee- freely thro- flow in and yeah. out of my my mind. 
Um, but I'd always try and bring my focus back to, you know, breathing on my upper lip, you know, the way you can with your, your mouth breath and your, your nose breath. Mm -hmm. Um, that's amazing. I think, you know, spending some time off grid and it's, it's a very binary, you know, black and white kind of existence, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hard in the paint for 16 hours a day, all day, every day for months on end, and Mm -hmm. then complete off switch, no internet. Yeah. Not everyone's cup of tea. It is my cup of tea, but it's really rewarding. You know, the challenges with going on vacation these days is we have our phones and our phones have Slack and email and oh. notifications and social media. And are you really on vacation? It's mm-hmm. questionable, you know? Yeah. And I think what you do is so healthy because, you know, today in the entrepreneurship world, of course, we all are hustling. We all figure things out. And I think mental health are really important. It's so important. You, we have to know what 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 made you happy. Whether for you is just go off the grid 110%. Maybe someone else is taking that 10 minutes walk every day, right? I think we all have to find that balance and knowing that what really serves us the most. So we can, we can really share our gift without compromising in our health. Right, right, 100%. Yeah, uh, today I don't have a lot of things that I do for fun. I yeah. go running in the morning. I went running this morning. Every day? Not every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I do like to play a game on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do you. Other than that, work a lot and then go off grid periodically. Is there something that you wish people know about you, but most people don't, Chris? Um, <laughs> you can say no. I don't know. I think, yeah, I don't know. I'll tell you mine. Yeah, what's yours? Um, so for me, that's why I ask about meditate. I meditate every single day. Oh, you do? I'm a very extrovert person when people met me, but I'm actually really, really, really value my own time. I me, love to read. You and me both. I, I love, I love just, it sounds so quote unquote boring, like a Sunday afternoon on my hammock, grab a book. Oh my God, I felt I'm just in my whole world. I can, like I imagine I'm traveling in time in my book and I just, me in this, I felt so rich. Like I felt I'm, I've been gifted with such a treasure. I can explore whatever I want. And I love imagination. I just, most people don't think me that way, but that's me. That's great. I'm, you know, I, I relate to appreciating my own time. Yeah. I haven't read a book in a long time, but I can see how yeah. you being in your hammock, reading, escaping to yeah. wherever the book takes you could be yeah. really valuable. It's the only way for me to, uh, shut down my shut my down. mind, yeah. Because I, I mean, similar. I could not actually stop thinking about my business, but only when I read a book. Now I'm in a different venture. Totally, yeah, yeah. And and Chris, you know, I know we share a lot today, and you know, you are somebody, right? You know, done incredible journey on your own, and you know, starting one and another amazing venture, and you also speak with you no know, like tens, hundreds. You touch so many entrepreneurs' life, and. If there's one thing you wish you know when you're only starting a business, what would you tell him or her? What think about the advice uh, for those fellow entrepreneurs? I think kind of in line with what I was saying earlier, you start a business with an idea in your mind. Mm-hmm. You say, I'm going to solve this problem. What you need to go into it with is the emotional intelligence that you're going to be told that you're wrong. And that adapting to that feedback is the mark of a great op- entrepreneur. And so, you know, you need to, you go into it, you say, I'm going to do this thing. I know that this is a problem. I'm going to solve it. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you hear feedback from customers Mm -hmm. that say, I don't really like what (laughs) you've put together here. Why don't you do it this way? 
you need to have the humility to mm-hmm. embrace that feedback, pivot, change, courage to go in a mm-hmm. different direction. Um, I think a lot of people enter entrepreneurship with an ego, mm-hmm. and the ego leads them to be stubborn about decisions they make. Mm-hmm. Um, I say go into entrepreneurship with an with openness, mm-hmm. um, try different things. I'm a big proponent of throwing incomplete things against the wall so that I get critical feedback. I remember when we were starting mm. Ast- Astronomic, I put some really scrappy things out there and and people were just like, this is terrible. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, thank you so much for telling me that. I really appreciate it. Um, How were you not getting purely the personal well you take you take a little bit personally you're like oh that hurts my feelings but um but at the end of the day when you think about it like if your goal is to get to the top Mm -hmm. and they've just given you feedback that in your introspection you realize will help you Mm -hmm. get to the top then Mm -hmm. that's great you know and you got to have that presence of mind to be like wow that's really awesome thank god they gave me that (laughs) feedback because now i can do this thing that they wanted yeah and they're gonna want this more yeah it's great but i think you know ego and stubbornness Mm -hmm. gets a lot of entrepreneurs in the way of Mm -hmm. you know navigating Mm -hmm. you can't see my hand right now but (laughs) you know i i almost viewed the entrepreneurial journey like spelunking where you enter a cave and there's all these dead ends and Mm -hmm. you got to find the the way to get to the exit you go down this this little path and you hit a a dead end well Mm -hmm. you just gotta you know have the the patience to double back go back to the main path and try Mm -hmm. this path instead and you keep going Mm -hmm. through these different paths and eventually you get to the end Mm -hmm. um and if you have that mindset then that's the success focused mindset Mm. i really enjoy that chris i love that I think you are somebody that having that perfect balance with that humanity, humanity, knowing that, you know, we have so much to learn continuously. But in the meantime, having that drive, having that passion, having that, you know, strong why, knowing why you're here, why you are serving your customers and how you really, you know, bring the bring the big picture to everybody around and having that perfect balance between humanity as well as the drive, the passion really is what keep you successful. So really, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show, share your advice, share your journey with us. Wow, what a what a beautiful, beautiful, uh, you know, journey you'll take us through. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I really hope you all enjoy as much as I do. And I cannot wait to see you all next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>